You're listening to There's a Better Way, smart talk on healthcare and technology. If you're up for energizing and story-driven conversations with national healthcare leaders driving industry innovation across the country, then you are in the right place. I'm excited to have Rena Shaw, who is the Group Vice President of Pharmacy of the Future and Segment Strategy at Walgreens on the show today. We'll learn how Rena embodies her title and how she envisions the future of pharmacy. Rena is focused on creating environments that empower pharmacists to leverage their clinical training, especially in underserved communities. She's also focused on driving technological innovation and partnerships across the healthcare ecosystem to deliver better patient outcomes. And she's looking at reimbursement and policy issues that prevent pharmacists from expanding their scope of practice. The topic could not be more relevant. The Association of American Medical Colleges estimates that by 2034, the U.S. will face a shortage of up to 124,000 physicians. And pharmacists are well-positioned to fill those gaps in care if they can get the tools, information, and support they need. So let's dive in. Well, welcome, Rena. Welcome to the show today. I was reading up on your background. Three themes kept coming up. You're innovative, compassionate, and future-focused, you know, and those themes are clearly themes of this series, which is focused on changing healthcare because there really is a better way. Um, And of course, you've got the new title, I believe it's pretty new, which is one of the most interesting and dare I say coolest titles I've ever heard, Vice President of the Pharmacy of the Future at Walgreens, right? So I want to hear all about that. But before we go there, I'd really just like to hear a little bit about, you know, how you grew up. Where where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How did you get into this career? For those that know me know that this is who I am, um, being in pharmacy, being in healthcare. And that's all been centered actually since uh, you ask about how I grew up. My My dad actually is a pharmacist. I was uh, born and raised in the area, I uh, in, in the Chicagoland area, and my dad owned a handful of pharmacies. And so I grew up where there was an, a lack of, you know, access to care. Um, where I would go to the pharmacies that my dad was at, um, where he had an independent pharmacy on the west side of Chicago. Every, you know, all the patients would come in calling him doc, asking him, you know, about the ailments that they had. And um, nearby, there was a doctor's office that they needed to schedule an appointment for. They could walk in. But they would start off at the pharmacy asking my dad, should we see the doctor or not? It was fantastic. You know, I was I grew up watching the impact that my dad had in communities that relied on him day in, day out. And I realized it was a calling for me. I loved, love, love being a resource for patients. I love being able to help them navigate what care looked like. Um, and it was not only being a medication expert, but it was really being a community expert of being able to help drive that access to care. And when I worked with my dad, I'd have a patient come to me and I'd be like, well, these are the guidelines that we have to hit. And um, I would watch him engage with the patient and realize he was able to be much more effective than I was if I just was 
you know, much more thoughtful in my communication technique. That was just incredible for me to see. Those are good learnings though. And so it sounds like you really learned like the, the patient interaction versus the book learning from what you experienced growing up and working with your dad. That coupled with what is the true opportunity for the future. And so when we think there's a better way, I love, you know, I love the the title of the podcast because you're spot on um, the impact that my dad and hundreds of thousands of pharmacists that are out there, along with myself, can make is so much more than what we currently do. And that's where it gets me really excited because I could see the potential of if you take the foundational experience and learning and education we have and be able to apply that, the impact we're able to make to healthcare can be so much greater than where we're at today. Um, But that requires you know, change across the board to be able to do so. So let's talk about that a bit. Let's go back to your title, the group vice president for the pharmacy of the future. That is just cool. So what does that mean to you? Yeah, I'm on a mission. And um, the mission is to be able to have pharmacy deliver care in a much more impactful way than we ever have before. And so what that means is changing how our pharmacists deliver what community care looks like, changing how our um, operations work to be able to deliver that. And that includes different sets of technology to allow us to deliver against that. That also means partnering from a B2B standpoint in a different capacity so that we can allow our pharmacists, not only from a scope standpoint, but also from a reimbursement standpoint to be able to drive that value. How do we develop partnerships across the industry and have aligned incentives so that we can have our pharmacists deliver care in a much more fuller scope than we have today? Build on the great dispensing medication experts that we are to drive immunizations, test and treat, screening services, focusing in on gaps in care, in underserved communities um, where we know that it can drive a difference. Establishing partnerships to do that, maybe payers, providers, pharmaceutical companies, technology companies, so that we could drive that future state. Can you think of a patient story that either because the pharmacist was empowered in this way or because the pharmacist wasn't empowered this way that care could have been different or was different? We have pharmacies in Ohio right now that our patients, most recently, um, we were, you know, there was a change in the Medicaid landscape in Ohio, where now patients are able to, you know, there isn't an access concern, meaning they're not required to go to one pharmacy or another. They can go to the pharmacy that's closest to them. When our patients come to that pharmacy, what we were seeing is that these, that our patients especially those patients that may have health literacy concerns. You know, there was a higher utilization of patients on asthma medications using their rescue inhalers more frequently than their maintenance inhalers. And we were seeing more utilization of that. And then in working with the local payer that was out there, we saw higher ER visits because of that. And so those patients, because of triggers that were happening, They weren't utilizing their preventative medication, saw an impact to higher cost of care because of that. 
And so we started looking at, okay, what can we potentially do to be able to drive better results? And ultimately, we put together a program in partnership with the local Medicaid provider with being able to understand what are the patients where we're seeing this misutilization, and then how can we repurpose our pharmacists so that they're focused on dispensing, but we're able to drive more targeted interventions with the patient to let them know, oh, you know what, you're on these couple of medications. We've seen that you're utilizing it more frequently. Let's have this conversation of what this means, but let's also talk about how do you screen for this? What are the different areas that you actually are seeing that, you know what, this is a trigger. This is when you use your rescue inhaler. This is when you use your maintenance inhaler. You know, let's monitor this. And then are, is there a lower overall health, you know, like a uh, lower cost of care because we've been able to intervene? One example, same thing with A1C tests. We know patients, you know, don't know to, to get their A1C test on a regular basis to test their diabetes and leveraging those same pharmacists so that we can then go ahead and be able to provide those A1C screenings in our pharmacy. So they're already coming in to get their medication. They're already coming in to get, you know, counseled on. Let's use that time more effectively, get that A1C test, have the conversation with them and get that data back to the health plan and back to the provider so that they know what to do with that information. Our pharmacists would get reimbursed for those interventions because it's a gap in care and we're able to spend extra time with those patients, but at the same time, we're also lowering their overall total cost of care. And so this is where we know that our pharmacies can play a difference. Um, we just need to free up the capacity of our pharmacists to be able to do so, hence the the end-to-end -end infrastructure change that we're looking to drive. So you talked about needing to free up time for the pharmacists. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Where Where does that come? especially with what we're seeing in, um, you know, healthcare in general, there's going to be, you know, there's a shortage of primary care physicians, a shortage of nursing. And for anyone that has been as close to what's happening in pharmacy, pharmacists, especially in the front line, there's been an impact to pharmacy staffing. And so what is our end goal? Our end goal is, and my end goal is to ensure that we're creating an environment that pharmacists do want to work in, that we're creating a very much more a focused effort to to have an ambulatory care-like setting in the future um, where it's not, you know, so disruptive. And so that requires pretty big infrastructure shifts. And so we have been investing in micro-fulfillment centers across the country. We uh, right now have uh, a little over 3,000 stores that are supported with micro-fulfillment. The goal is to have, um, you know, close to the chain, like the majority of the chain supported. And what that means is almost 50% of the prescriptions that would normally be filled in the pharmacy would be filled at a nearby micro-fulfillment facility and delivered ready at to the store so that the patient can still pick up that medication and not feel a gap in therapy. But what that does is it frees up the capacity of our pharmacists and our technicians to focus in on these value-added services. So imagine a world where the prescription is ready to go. So we know every 90 days that you know, you're coming into the pharmacy to pick up that prescription. Instead of having that pharmacy, that pharmacist fill that prescription, it's all ready for you. And then when 
you come into the pharmacy, we can have that comprehensive conversation. You're not busy filling scripts. I can tell you when I went to pharmacy school, I spent zero time, like maybe one to 5% of my time on how you fill a prescription. That isn't where we spend time. Our educational training was centered around the therapeutics of the medication, being able to understand is that the right patient for the right medic for the the right medication for the right patient, looking at their entire drug profile, and then being able to counsel that patient, this is how you can actually take this medication. And then these are the common side effects. This is what you should expect. Do you have any questions? These are the lab values that we take into consideration so that we know is that this is the right therapy. And then we spend time learning about how we partner with physicians and nurses to be able to try and drive that. We're looking to create a setting so that we could be able to leverage that skill set appropriately um, and be able to ensure that our pharmacists have the time and capacity to have those conversations. That makes lots of sense. So when you're, you know, just for all of the listeners out there who may not know what happens in the pharmacy without the kind of, you called it microfill or central fill. Can you talk about the workflow when it's not working? So right now, the way it works is a prescription comes into our system and our pharmacists spend time looking at that prescription, validating one, is that prescription written correctly? Meaning, are there any gaps in how it was written? Could there be a drug-to-drug interaction? Could there be potentially a better prescription or more effective prescription that that patient should be taking because of any other reactions or anything else that's on that patient profile? And then if there is any sort of gap in therapy, then reaching out to the physician to recommend, okay, you know what? You may not know there's all these other medications that the patient is taking and there is a drug-to-drug interaction. We would recommend X drug instead of Y drug. So that is the first part of this step of the process. It is really a protection unit. Our pharmacists are intended to protect our patients and ensure that the patient has the best drug based on their profile and clinical guidelines. So that's the first step. The second step is once we validate that that prescription is the right prescription, there aren't any drug interactions, um, sometimes there's actually a good chunk of the rejections might be payer-driven. So our you know payers might say, you know what, this is a formulary preference. This, co- this drug might require prior authorization. Some of the more administrative pieces, our technicians will help with supporting the administrative pieces. So that is the second step. It's a clinical review and then an administration review just to make sure that that medication is covered. Once we've cleared out any of those exceptions, then it's a matter of printing the label, getting the medication from the the shelf, filling the prescription, labeling it appropriately, getting the right packaging set up. And then the, the pharmacist validates the product. Is this medication after it's been filled, can we make sure that, you know, Mrs. Jones medication, that is the right medication, it's the right labeling, whatnot. It's then validated, the product review is completed, and then it's ready to be dispensed. And then once it's ready to be dispensed, then when the patient picks it up, then our pharmacist will counsel. The middle part of printing the label to the product review is what is completed at the micro fulfillment center. And we have pharmacists 
at the micro fulfillment center that complete that product review. And then it's brought back to the pharmacy so that then the pharmacy can go ahead and dispense the medication. That clinical review happens. It's the, pr the product, like the line management of like actually filling the prescription. That's where um, we would leverage the micro fulfillment center that is close by to go ahead and fill those medications and bring it to the pharmacy and so that we can dispense it. That was great. So the partnerships that you're working on, I would imagine, are focused both on the process you just outlined to free up time for pharmacists and on the how do you enable pharmacists to do the clinical care that you're talking about as well. I've been spending the majority of my time on enabling the pharmacist on the clinical practice and what do we want the pharmacist to do now that we've freed up their capacity. And so that's where our payer partnerships across the board, along with provider partnerships, have been critical and pharma partnerships so that we can then say, now that I've freed up their capacity, what should they, you know, what's going to drive the most amount of value to the overall ecosystem? And then how can we ensure that our pharmacists are well prepared to be able to go ahead and engage appropriately? And what contracts can we set up to do so? I think we've talked a little bit about provider partnerships, just in the fact that the pharmacist is now part of the care team, the evolving care team for that patient. Talk about pharma partnership here. Where does that come in? Sure. And if I just take a step back on the provider piece, so we recently announced our investments in, in Village MD and what we're doing, um, you know, across that space, along with we have partnerships with health systems across the, the country as well. And so we have partnerships with both. And the intent is, is that we are, if 50% of our stores are in underserved communities, um, our pharmacists are not a replacement of any healthcare provider, we're a complement to the healthcare ecosystem. In no scenario would it be that you only see a pharmacist and a patient is fully supported, right? Like you'd have to be able to navigate that patient appropriately. And so our partnership with a village MD is great. We have co-located areas where, you know, we could have our patients come to the pharmacy and we go, we direct them to our village MD site or vice versa. When a patient sees a village MD site, they can come through our pharmacies and our pharmacies and our pharmacists have time to engage with that patient to then ultimately um, ensure that their adherence to therapy accomplish, you know, what they what that village MD site is looking to do and be able to ensure that that patient is better off than where we found them. Um, so it's been a great partnership thus far. We've been able to see this model of a pharmacist and a physician hand in hand helping to support um, our patient's care in a different capacity. And um, we're looking forward to seeing much more of that, not only with Village, but then also with other healthcare providers across the industry so that we can demonstrate the same level of success. So that's like a, a version of what we used to call the patient medical home. We need to get back to that, right? Like we need to get to an overall medical home and how our pharmacists are a part of that ecosystem instead of, you know, currently it is a bit siloed. You know, we've been in partnership with pharma, similar to providers and payers, to identify where are there gaps where they see continuum of care being broken 
And then how can we identify areas that pharmacists can intervene and then be able to drive more education and ensure that patients stay to therapy or navigate the patient appropriately to their healthcare provider? Because that's where there's been biopharma partners that have said our patients get lost. They they take this medication for two or three you know months, high side effects, and then they stop taking it. And we see an overall cost impact. And so this is where intervening at the right time and then directing them to the appropriate set of care um, drives quite a bit of value. Sure. Well, at SureScripts, we've been looking at this evolving care team. And one of the things that we see and hear in the pharmacy area is this need for Really, what we think of is a merger of policy, payment, and product. Product we've touched on by virtue of the product or technology that you need to support either freeing up time for the activities they currently do or, you know, support the provision of care. But what about payment for these? You've talked a little bit about being paid, but payment and the policy supporting the care that can be provided by a pharmacist. I I think that you've hit the nail on the head, and that's exactly where my role is focused in on. Our biggest barriers to to realizing the future of pharmacy right now is around reimbursement. It's around policy, um, scope of practice. Our focus both at the state and federal level is to help manage both so that we can expand the scope of what pharmacists and technicians could do so that we can be able to be more effective in leveraging there's our, our team members' skill sets. But then coupled with that is being able to have a reimbursement profile so that we could then get paid for these additional services that are different than just the di- act of dispensing. In order for us to drive a scalable um, solution or something, you know, it's all boats rise when we're able to do it for the industry versus if us at Walgreens just do it individually by payer. Hence why it's important for us to have partners like like SureScripts, have partners like NACDS and APHA and CDC and um, everyone across the board at the state and federal level so we can expand the scope and uh, ultimately be able to drive value in a very productive manner. You might have examples here on the policy side where it just varies state to state, right? About what a pharmacist can do. It's not, it's not consistent across the country, right? And that is also challenging. When the pandemic hit, we had to focus on saving lives. And so policy was written to enable pharmacists and technicians to leverage their clinical training to be able to provide immunizations and testing services to drive that end outcome of saving lives and removed the barriers across the states, which is fantastic, fantastic. But then now that the PHE is about to end, what that means is all 50 states where you used to be able to get screenings or testing services and get immunization services are now gonna be inconsistent across 50 states. And so there are some states that will allow pharmacists and technicians to provide all vaccinations down to the age of three that we've been trained on, including technicians to do so, which was the same as what happened during the pandemic. But then there's a whole slew of states that actually limit 
what immunizations you can provide, who can provide it, and ultimately where that can be provided. What that means for the patient is yesterday you were able to come in and get your vaccine and not have to worry about those nuances. And tomorrow it might be that you well, pharmacies can only provide it to those that are 12 years and older or 18 years and older, or it's only a subset of the vaccinations, or it's only pharmacists that can provide it, not just technicians. We know that it's not a training concern. This is now a policy situation. And we have an opportunity across all 50 states to create policy so that we can impact a better experience for our community. Um, but then also with a very constrained healthcare ecosystem, do we want to waste our primary care physician's time on worrying about a ton of patients that may not be positive for flu or COVID? Or, you know, should they be focused on the sickest of sick instead of on those that we know community pharmacy could, could serve? And so it's a dual benefit of not only the patient, but then also the healthcare ecosystem that we're going to have to work towards. What about payment for those? I believe for COVID, those were you paid for the immunizations? You know, we previously, the federal government was covering the cost of vaccine and testing services. Um, and going forward after the PHE, that's going to shift. You know, immunizations, the majority of lives that have coverage will have coverage going forward um, at the pharmacy, at the pharmacy. Testing is a whole different ballgame. Um, testing coverage will vary based on where um, contracts have been set up. And most likely, you know, that will be fallen. You know, if we're able to set up a contract individually, payer by payer, then, you know, it might be covered. Otherwise, it might be an out-of-pocket cost for the patient. That, that cost will be shifting. I don't want to leave this part of the conversation without just circling it back to health equity, because this isn't just about policy and payment, which sound, which is it's absolutely, but it's about making sure where you started, making sure that patients have access to care, whether it's because of the primary care shortage has impacted or because there are health equity issues and so forth, right? You're spot on. The patients we serve are close to 50% of the stores are in medically underserved communities. And so when we start taking away or shifting the cost burden to the patient, the likelihood of being able to receive these services diminishes greatly. Really, the intent is how do we increase access to care in the community pharmacy setting so that they can receive the service, especially when it you know, the likelihood of individuals being able to see their doctor may not be as great. And so to your point, you know, the the greatest impact of this shift back pre-PHE will be in underserved communities. And if we're able to focus our efforts to underserved communities where we can expand access to care, identify reimbursement mechanisms, there will be a total cost of care benefit because we know that that would benefit the, the individuals that need it the most. So let's turn to just the exciting things that you see happening. Where have you seen success? When we think about the pandemic, we have in just in a year and a half to two years, we've been able to administer over 25 million COVID tests just at Walgreens. And then you add in the fact that 50% of our stores, close to 50% are in underserved communities. Um, the, the impact is so great of what we can do. 
So where am I extremely excited about is there are really big problems to solve, but our pharmacists are so well positioned to be able to solve rooted issues across the board. Um, we know that at the end of the day, for example, colorectal screenings have diminished during the pandemic. If we could just hand out a kit of colorectal screenings, imagine the impact we could make on saving a life. If we were able to be able to provide not only A1C screenings, but then also being able to support diabetics on blood pressure, A1C, statin use in diabetics, just being able to support a diabetic patient in underserved communities, the, the benefit is three times more than what we could actually imagine. So there is so much value that we could provide once we shift the operating model and fix like what you mentioned, the policy and payment side. Um, it's extremely exciting. And what I love about this is that we have so many partners that are wanting to work with us to be able to solve this issue. It's not a pharmacy only issue. We have you know, payer partners, provider partners, health systems that have seen the benefit during COVID. That's great news. That is reason to be excited. Let's just talk about inspiration. One of the things I really love to, I'm fascinated by where people get inspired and your job alone means that you need sources of inspiration. Where do you get inspiration? The first is, uh, you know, I mentioned my dad and my mom at the very beginning, but I grew up living and breathing pharmacy and I am looking at, it's all generational. So I see my parents and now I see my daughter and where I get my inspiration from is if I, let's say I, I'm somehow able to convince my daughter to go into pharmacy um, because, you know, every kid will be, you know, they have their own will, but let's say they, she follows in her footsteps. I am inspired and motivated to constantly evolve the profession so that when she goes down that path, she's able to see a profession that she would love to go into. And it creates the same amount of value for her as it has been for me. And so that is my first, you know, set of inspiration. And so my second inspiration is, you know, our pharmacists drive so much value and it's my responsibility to create an environment where they can do that in a way that, you know, that allows them ease to do so. So developing the technology aspects, developing the payer partnerships, developing what we need to in the support center so that we can then allow them to be the best version of what they've been trained to do. And so um, that's my my second set of inspiration. And then the third is we have this duty to the country to improve the lives of everyone that we've met and, um, you know, the impact we made during COVID, I, I would just love for us to see how we can drive more value to the communities we serve. And I think we're well positioned to do so. And so um, being able to take this, this role and drive public health mission to improve the lives of those underserved communities is, you know, my third sense of inspiration. Oh, I love that. Your answer is just beautiful. I mean, we are privileged to work in healthcare for all of the problems healthcare clearly has, knowing that there's a better way and being able to actually escort that better way forward is a privilege. So why don't we close with anything that we should know that's on the frontier for Walgreens? 
You know, I think the biggest thing is that we're a we're a people organization. We're a human organization, and and really everything we do is to serve our customers, our patients, and our team members. And um, you know, I'm looking forward to really transforming what the future of pharmacy looks like, so we can benefit. You know, our my end my end customer, which is our pharmacists and our our patients. We're looking forward to it too, Rena. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. As I mentioned in the first few minutes of my conversation with Rena, she truly is future-focused, innovative, and compassionate. And it all began with her experience as a child, watching her pharmacist father care for underserved communities on the west side of Chicago. In a healthcare system that sees hospitals closing doors and primary care providers leaving practice, we need innovators like Rena, who is mission-driven to evolve the role of pharmacy nationwide. Thanks, Rena, for sharing your vision and real-world experience with our listeners today. We can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you for listening in today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review. There's a better way. Smart talk on healthcare and technology. With your help, we'll continue to bring great conversations to the fore and to the wider listening public. Thank you.